Um, you may open your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 2. That's still on page 1207 if you're using the Bible provided for you. But we're going to get all the way to page 12,008. So that's maybe good news. I don't know. Just three short verses. And so I'm going to give you a moment to get there. If uh, you haven't been here before, or maybe you've been here and you forgot, we're, we're preaching through the book of Second Peter, and uh, we're calling it a life that lasts, because in First Peter, the first epistle he wrote, he is warning us of the troubles and trials that come from outside. In this one, in Second Peter, he turns us inwardly to the struggles we have in ourselves, and that Find, we find in the church. And that brings us today to 2 Peter chapter 2. And I'm only going to cover the first three verses. The next, this chapter and the next one all relate to what we're going to see here today. So I'll just go ahead and warn you of that. And I know you just sat down, but uh, I'm going to ask you to stand back up now to get your Bible open. I want to read this and, and I'm just going to read it and you can follow along. Um, and if you don't have, if you have your own Bible and it's not an ESV, this, what I'm reading from is the uh, English Standard Version uh, translation of the Bible. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring into destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Would you bow with me in prayer? And please pray that God would help you to understand, that God would help me understand and communicate clearly as we pray. Father, in Jesus' name. We once again, we, not that we left, but we find ourselves before your throne, that throne of grace. For again, we desperately feel the need for that. Uh, Lord, today I feel like all I can do is stutterings, stutterings and stammerings. But Lord, we ask you to bless those stutterings and stammerings. Lord, I pray that you would help me to understand as I speak. I pray that you would help all of us to understand. For we cannot understand apart from your Holy Spirit. And Lord, that the church might hear your word. Lord, we love you. We ask you to bring peace into this building. We ask you, Lord, to rebuke our enemy for us. For you alone have the authority and the power, though you've given us the authority to use your name. And that's what we're doing Lord, we ask even now that your will will be done. And Lord, we will be very careful to give you honor and glory and praise for what you do this day in Jesus' authority. Amen. Thank you. Y'all can sit down. I, I want to tell you what I want you to understand today before you leave. And it's this, that by the end of the message, I want you to be able to see... Uh, and understand and spot a false teacher, and also to guard against their distorted messages. And I'm going to give you some tests that you can use, hopefully, to, to look at that. And um, just by the way, I had to go up there th today, just before the service, and say, listen, 
I changed the entire outline, so what you got is kind of irrelevant. <laughs> so um, you're going to get the first point, but the rest uh, I've totally changed last night um, as, at home. And uh, so uh, if I stutter or stammers because God kind of changed my approach uh, using a, a wiser, older person that I was reading uh, to, to help me do that. And I don't mind admitting that uh, because... Uh, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, so I appreciate people that are sharper that, I, that, that can help me. But here's why I'm telling you that also. I want you to be able to write down some of the things I say. So I want you to be prepared to write it down and type it in your phone, however you like to keep notes. Um, I, 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 when I was younger and, and I wasn't the pastor up front preaching, man, I, I outlined every sermon I heard, I listened to it, I took a lot of notes on it. And now when I go to a conference, I do the same thing. I go home in the notebook and I, I listen to the speakers. I take notes on them. And, and I hope that you do that because what I'm going to talk about today applies to me as well as to anyone else. And that is that you shouldn't trust what I'm saying. So you need to write it down so you can check it out, make sure it's true or not. As we come to this chapter, I want you to understand that, that this, out of all of the scriptures, is probably the most awful, the most dire And the most threatening text that faces us as believers, and especially us in the church. Because here the Apostle Paul is going to warn us so that we can prepare as believers to face the future. We we live without thinking about the future. Uh, Just this morning we were just in general conversation with someone talking about aging and how things change. And I said, I thought it was going to take me longer to get this old. It just, it just is what happens, right? And young people don't think about the future because they think they're going to be the same as they are now forever, right? As when we get into age, we begin to realize that things, uh, the only constant is there is no constant. Things change, but there is something constant. Man's sin is the same. Our enemy is the same. God is the same. And those things come together in this passage to help us to understand what it is we have to do. He wants us to be prepared to meet the enemy head on and to engage in the struggle and the spiritual battle that is constant since the garden, since really before the garden. I'll try to make that a little more clear. Because if you don't believe the central message of the New Testament, that man is a sinner and that God put on flesh and lived a perfect life in front of us. His name was Jesus. That was the name given him. And that he took our sin upon himself because he was perfect. He'd never sinned. And he took our sins to a tree and died there for us in our place. That he was buried and then rose from the dead bodily out of that grave and is still alive, is seated at the right hand of the Father and will come back for his own. One day, if we don't get to go see him, he's going to come get us. Whichever way that works. I'm either going to die and go or he's going to come get me and I'm going to go. But we're going to, we're going to be together forever. If you don't have that and understand that, then the New Testament's the most depressing book you're ever going to read. Because your doom is sure. Hell is sure. And you have to understand that. You have to understand that that, 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 that is the battle And that is the pivot point right here. Are you in or are you out? Are you on or are you off? It's not a matter of right or left. Are you on point with who Jesus is, what he did for you, who he is revealed to us, 
and what he is going to do. Because we're in a warfare. You see, we forget that we're in a spiritual battle. I, I really believe that. And, and, and it's not for no reason. We live in a physical, our physical world. We, we see what we touch, taste, feel, what we can imagine in our mind, all of that. We, 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 we live in this world. But this world is the scene of the most in, intense and terrible battle of eternity. And it's a mighty conflict between two superior powers. On one side, we have God and all of his created hosts. The angels, and there are many kinds of angels. And those, even men who are believers in him, are on one side. And Satan and all that followed him are on the other. And they're in a mighty spiritual warfare for the minds and hearts and souls of men. And God calls us to be soldiers in that army. And Peter here, that's what he's trying to do. God is trying to use him to to help us understand that the dragon of old that showed up in the garden, who rebelled against God before that, who was probably the highest created angel, who probably was going to get to watch over man on earth, didn't like it that God was going to make humans and that when we messed up, he was going to forgive us. And he said, I'm going to be God. I'm going to sit above God. And that sin of pride is any sin that we commit. We think we know better than God, so we do it our way. And that dragon rebelled against the kingdom of God. And they have been in warfare ever since. When Jesus came, he did battle with Satan. Boy, once you understand this, a lot of things he said and did makes even more sense to you and understand the intensity of that battle. And Satan thought he won on Friday, but Jesus beat him on Sunday. And the Bible says if they had known he would rise from the dead, they would not have put him to death. They they did not understand fully what he was about. And so, there's no easy optimism in the Bible. All of Scripture is designed to prepare us for battle. And I kind of joke about it. But in a sense, we need to realize it because you don't have a plaque probably in your house that says prepare for battle. You have something in there that says, I know the plans that I have for you. Thoughts of good, not of evil, to bring you to an expected end. That God said to Israel in captivity to tell them he was going to bring them back out. But we apply it to ourselves and go, see, God, God's got good for me, nothing but good. And then life hits you and you don't know what to do with it. I'm not saying you ought to get a plaque that says prepare for a battle. But you know what the war acronym is? We are ready. And that's what the Bible's telling us. You're at war and you better get ready because it is a fight. And it's a fight to the death. But the problem is we can't see our enemy. We can't identify him quickly. It is a warfare in which we, we cannot do that. And so the Bible will not allow us to escape. And the great theme of the scripture is that there's one great danger. Is the one great danger we forget we're at war. You see, the world is a dangerous place. Would you agree? Just, yeah, we see it all the time. It's getting worse in our own nation. We see the devil doing almost anything he wants in in many quarters. But don't forget what 
Peter said in the series before this, in 1 Peter, in chapter 4, verse 17, he said, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? This is Peter's argument. This is what Peter is building to here in, in this chapter. That, that this world is a dangerous place even for the Christian and that there's a whole host of evil powers and beings that are arrayed against us. And, and like Elisha's servant, when they saw the armies coming and he started trembling, said, there's too many of them. And he said, Lord, open his eyes so he can see what I see. And around them on the mountains were the armies of God and their chariots ready to do battle on behalf of God's faithful prophet. All the time, Satan is trying to steal, kill, and destroy and if you drop your guard on that, he's half won the fight already. But the fighting can get so intense that we pull away from God. Or we can be so blessed that we forget that we're in a battle. And we can be tempted by our enemy to do these things. So the only way to guard against a hopelessness and a, and a defeatism is know what's going to happen and get prepared for it. There are, some, there are just some people, they, they're like sheep. When they see danger, they want to hide, run, and get out of it. And, and I get that. That's why God gave them shepherds, right? And the Lord is, the Lord is, the Lord is, thank you, my shepherd, right? So he's there for us to help us, to guard us, to guide us. But when we realize this is going to happen, we got to get fully armed and ready so that we're not taken by surprise. Because God knows the secret of where Satan's hiding, right? So the greatest danger we face is not from the enemy without. It's from the enemy within. In our personal lives and life of the church. It's the false prophet or the false teacher. I've read it. Now I want you to look at it as, as I read it. And here's, here's what Peter says. False prophets also arose among the people. Just as there will be false teachers among you. Who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Hold on one, one second. Let me just ask a question. Just get your mind for what I'm about to say. Okay, in a hundred years, everybody in this place, generally speaking, there may be a small, small exception. But a hundred years from now, everybody that is listening to me right now is going to be dead. Okay, let's say Jesus doesn't come back in those hundred years. And somebody's reading Second Peter chapter 1 in those days. Will there be false teachers among them? Thank you. You see, there always has been, there are now, and there always will be. You follow me? That's what Peter wants you to see. And, and in the past, the Jews became known as the people. That's kind of shorthand in the Old Testament. The people, they are the ones. And so he says, false prophets rose among the people. You've heard them. You remember Korah's rebellion when Moses took them through the wilderness. You, you know of... Of uh, Balaam who was asked to speak as a false prophet. But God wouldn't let him. You know about um, when Jehoshaphat. The king of Judah was asked by the king of Israel. To come and attack the army that was invading. What we would call northern Israel. The top ten tribes. And so what they always did was ask the prophets. Hey what, what's God say about this? And, and all the prophets. It was hundreds of them were like. Go get them king. Yep God's going to bless you. going to kill them all. And Jehoshaphat said. You got a prophet that will tell you the truth? He's, I got one. His name is Micaiah. It's sort of like Micah, but it's got an extra vowel or two in there. It's not the prophet Micah book, but it's another 
prophet with a similar name. He said, but I don't like him because he never tells me anything good. <laughs> That's because you're bad. It was, Ahab was the king. He, he, he was a wicked, wicked, wicked king. His wife was worse than him. So they call him in and said, should we go up? He goes, yeah, go on up. God's going to bless you. And one of the other prophets popped him in the mouth and said, how many times have I told you not to lie to me, the king? The king had him hit. And he's like, all right, you want the truth? Here it is. And he told him, you're going to die, man. This is it. You're going into your death. He said, I told you he never tells me anything good. And they went to battle and he died. There's always been the false prophets. There's always has been. And there are today. Now, you probably know some of the big ones. You, can, you, you see them on TV. We can talk about different kinds of religions. We can talk about people under the name of Christ, supposedly, who, who have destructive tendencies. But, but understand this. That it says, even that there arose among the people, just as there also will be among you. So I'll make a real bold statement. We have false teachers in this church. Because that's the promise of Scripture. And it might be me. That's why I tell you, check it out. Look at the Bible. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. And you got to tell me, because I don't want to be a false teacher. You follow me? And anybody who doesn't want to be examined, is, is they're either a false teacher or they're afraid they're a false teacher and don't want to face it. So my brother shaking his head. That's right. <laughs> Go on, preacher. Exactly. And so we, we have to be careful. We have to bring ourselves under the authority of Christ. And, and he says they, they, they are teaching destructive heresies. They're teaching things. And churches that don't guard against that, that we make a, you a comfortable place from which to go to hell. I don't want Sunday morning to be a, a place where you can only feel comfort on your way to hell. I want to warn you. I've got to warn you. I've got to warn the church. I've got to warn all of us that there can be something wrong and we need to fix it. Because if you're a believer in Christ and you're faced that, hey, you're not doing that right, then you... You want to get it right. You want to do right. You want to be better. Always be becoming better and better. And so here's some, here's some negative tests to test a false teacher. Okay, you ready? The first one is, just because it's modern doesn't mean it's right. Now, I'm not saying just because it's modern doesn't mean it's wrong either. But if somebody says, I got a new teaching, I got a new idea, I got a new thing. No, you don't. Because the testimony of Scripture is there's nothing new under the sun. And Solomon said that thousands of years ago and it's still true today. And, and I've already said the point of that. Is not the same temptations there? Yep. Are not men the same kind of sinners? Yep. Is God still the same God? Yep. It doesn't change. Those things remain constant. And so we need to be prepared. So... If somebody's coming in with a new teaching, a new idea, or something like that. Now, we can always improve maybe practices or ways we can accomplish things. Because, after all, I, I'm old enough. There, there are people in here that were born after 9-11. But for those of us who lived through it, we'll never forget it. And for us, it's like still fresh. But our kids are learning about it in history books. Because it's past. You follow me? And, and so we come to a, a, when that happened, y'all know your cell phones barely worked. And now I can call any place in the world at no charge in an instant on WhatsApp. 
You follow? So that means the church has to come up with new strategies, right? New ways of doing what? Giving people the gospel. Because that's the main point of all things, right? So if, if somebody says, oh, I got the new thing. And no, you don't understand the scripture. Because this is now God's given me a better insight into that. Well, you might have a better insight of what's there, but make sure what they're saying is coming out of Scripture and is true. Because what did Satan do? He tried it on Jesus. He knew who Jesus was. He knew he was the Son of God who is the Word of God, the living Word of God. And he dared quote the Word of God to him, but he misquoted it. And so Jesus would always give him the right answer to that question. And so false teachers can take Scripture and distort it. Like... Well, people in history, you know, you know who they are. In, in our most recent history, again, you got to still be a grown-up remember this, but, but y'all remember what happened in Waco a couple decades ago, right? A false teacher had a whole group. Y'all, how many of you remember the Hale-Bopp comment? Yeah, my, I had a cousin in that. He was kind of the lay leader of that whole group. I didn't know that until he was dead. My mom said, oh, you had a cousin there. That was back when my mom was telling me I had a cousin everywhere. <laughs> And, and so we heard about that tragedy, and she said, oh, that was your cousin, and looked it up, sure enough. It's Uncle Sam's grandson, actually. But anyway, number two, if it is popular, it doesn't make it right. If it is popular, it doesn't make it right. So what I was saying is we still have new false teachers, and they're going to come up with new ways of telling us a lie. But, but also... If it's popular, why? Because we always want the easy way. Nobody, I don't say nobody, there are people that will make themselves uncomfortable for purpose of training as an athlete or soldier or some other thing, and they'll discipline themselves. But most of us, hey, if I can get a break, I'm going to take a break. You know, if, if I can, and, and notice what he says in verse 2. Many will follow their sensuality, what feels good, what they want to do. And again, it's rampant in our news. I don't even need to say what it is. You all know. Well, that's just how I feel. That's just who I am. That's just, and, and, and if it's popular, it does not make it right. He says, many will follow. A lot will follow. There's a, there's a line out of a poem. I never heard this poem, but, but I read it, and I looked it up. It was by James Russell Lowell. He was in the 1800s. He was an abolitionist. And, he, and in his poem, there was a line, Truth ever on the scaffold. And if you don't know what scaffold is, what you hang people on. Wrong forever on the throne. That's the world in which we live. If, if they're on the throne and it, it's not Jesus, they're wrong. But we forget that, don't we? So just because it's popular, don't make it right. I, I mean, think about the flood. You got possibly millions of people. Eight people were right and got on a boat and survived it. Everybody else died. Think of Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot and his family. And, and by his family, like his son-in-laws were no good. His wife turned around. Just Lot and two, of, two daughters in ten cities get destroyed you see the group isn't always right you know what the one lemming said to another as they ran off the cliffs there and wherever that is in England somewhere they once a year run off the cliffs or something one looked at the other and said where are we going the other said I don't know but be quiet and keep moving you find yourself in a crowd and you ask where where, where are we going and they, somebody says I don't know but just keep moving you better get out of that crowd it's not good. You see, 
One of the, I'm going to quote this guy now. One of the saddest features even of modern religious life is the tendency to estimate truth in terms of results. Popularity, crowds, movements. It's an utter denial of the biblical teaching. You cannot estimate spiritual truth by polls, by counting of heads. It's not a biblical way of discovering whether teaching is right or wrong. You don't take a census to ask people to fill out certain details to the law and the testimony. Popularity and numbers are a very false test of truth. There are thousands of people in a church this morning in this country. And the man talking doesn't want to call you a sinner that needs a savior. He wants to make you feel comfortable. wants to make you feel good. Because he gets more money when he does that. And there's more than one of those guys out there. Thirdly. Thirdly. Even if it's taught by the church. It's not a guarantee that it's true. I mean. In different generations. Somebody went wait a minute. We're not doing this right. Backed out and said we're going to do it right. And so they go off and start doing something a little different. And then one day, that movement becomes, you know what? We're not doing this right. We took a left turn in Albuquerque. And so we're going to start another group. And that's how we got so many denominations. But that's not the problem. The problem is in all of those, we're not teaching what God told us to teach. In all of the groups, the Baptists included. Remember Paul in Acts 20 at the shore of Ephesus? He's telling the elders, I got to go to Jerusalem and be arrested. I'm going to Rome. But listen, wolves are going to come in among you guys. So be on the guard all through the New Testament, all through the Old Testament. Be on guard. Look out. Satan's after you. Remember what Jesus said? Some guy sowed tares among the wheat. Tares look like wheat until it all gets mature. And, they said, and, and he told us a parable. And the worker said, you want to go in and tear out the tares? He said, nope. Because you can't tell the difference between a tear and a wheat until it's grown. And I tell you, when the angels come to reap the harvest on earth, they know who's a tear and who's a wheat, and they'll fix it. You remember that? Jesus himself said that one day there will be a multitude before God, and the sheep will be on the right and the goats on the left. And what do the goats say? Didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we do good things in your name? And he goes, I don't know you. Depart from me. Just because it's in the church doesn't make it correct. The problem is that all of us are preaching a false message. And you can assume any preacher or teacher that is teaching the truth is not a false teacher. If the cross of Christ is central, because that's where we all are. My heart is not good. I know... There are people crazy about Disney. I, I know people that like take a yearly pilgrimage. I want to give them a Mickey Mouse, put it up and say, why don't you build an altar of that sucker? And what is the message of Disney? Follow your heart. What does God say about your heart? The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. None can know it. But God knows it and he tries the heart. And the Bible says, the prophet Ezekiel said, he's going to take out that heart of stone, give you a heart of flesh. And on that heart, he's going to write his law in your heart. He's going to change your heart. But even the Christian can't trust himself and what he thinks and what he desires. He's got to come back to the word of God. And the word of God makes Jesus central. So 
That's a few negative tests. Let me give you some positive tests. I know we're getting late. If a prophet has not been called by God, a true prophet has to be called by God. And Peter talked about that in chapter 1 at the end. Do you remember? That was just last week, by the way, in case you don't remember. What did he say there? He said, no, verse 20 of chapter 1, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as he carried them along by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit moved them to put down, and Peter says, and that is the more sure word. Peter said, I got experiences, but I don't trust that. What I trust is the written word of God. And so he's exhorting the people here in 2 Peter chapter 1, listen to the word of God. Don't listen to what men say about it. Go yourself and read it and know it and learn it and study it. Because it is in there that we find Jesus and he is the truth. That's one test. Is he called by God? If he's preaching Jesus, crucified, buried, and risen again, that's the true message. And if he doesn't have a true message, so I've bled into the second one. He'll use false words. Here in 2 Peter, it, it says... He's a false teacher. It says that if many will follow their sensuality, because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. So they say that the gospel is not quite right. It needs to be fixed. The Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, they try to say that, well, no, y'all got it wrong. No, you got it wrong, dude. Because what you're saying, you're saying there's another book that's more important than the Bible and that we got Jesus wrong. All heresies are wrong about Jesus. They're either wrong about his humanity, his deity, what he did, how he rose from the dead, coming back, all of that. They get all of that wrong. And, and we have to be super, super careful. And anybody that is always trying to comfort you is, it leads you into error. If he tells you you're wonderful and not trying to convict you of sin, then he's a false prophet. That sounds negative, but means he's got, a false, he's got a false message. If they deny Jesus that bought him, isn't that what he says? Even denying the one who bought them and is, now is bringing upon them a swift disaster. They'll exploit you with false words in verse 3. In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. They want to lead you astray from Jesus. They're wrong about his atoning work. They're wrong about everything about Christ. And I've said that over and over, but that is the point. And then I got a fourth test. Their faults in their living and in their lives. Notice what it says. Many will follow in their pernicious ways. It says there in, in verse 2 that many people are going to follow their false teaching and bring in these destructive heresies. And many will follow their sensuality and because of them the way of truth is blasphemed and in their greed they'll exploit you with words and exploit means to get something from you that you shouldn't have to give uh, I, was, I was told Jason Lovins I was just talking to him about some of this stuff and he was telling me about a singer that he knows about and that singer helped Chris Tomlin, he was a co-author of the Chris Tomlin songs like um, How Great Is Our God, those songs. And his pastor convinced him to give the pastor all his royalties 
from those songs. Kind of woke the dude up, and he did it. And then it woke him up. And he was so hurt by that false prophet, that false teacher doing that. He said he had to just go back to Jesus, and now he ministers Jesus. And he doesn't minister prosperity. Pretty shocking, but it's true. They live a false life. But I want you to notice the warning at the end. Their condemnation, condemnation from long ago is not idle. And their destruction is not asleep. The Bible says God neither slumbers nor sleeps. It says their condemnation is not idle. I think it was Spurgeon, but one preacher said this. The grinding wheel of God grinds slowly, but it grinds to powder. Now, that's kind of a hard reference for us in our modern world. But they used to take grain that had a hard case and they'd put it between two rocks. And they'd move that top rock, get an ox and tie it to him. And he would grind it and get it down to the part you could eat. Because that was faster and easier than trying to break all those little tiny shells. And that pastor said, the grinding wheel of God may turn slowly, but it grinds to powder. You see... Jesus said, no, in that last day, you're going to stand before the throne. Over here are the sheep. You're a goat. Wait, I thought I was over there. Nope, don't know you. Because you didn't preach Jesus. Listen, I get it. The church, I've seen in the past 20 years how the church has taught the wrong message. The church has not taught that. Sin is bad, sin is wrong, and we need to repent. But then we teach that now, we, now that you got in, you can yell at everybody that sins like you used to. Uh-uh. <laughs> they need the same grace you needed. They need the same love of God that you received. Right? And I'm not here to point my finger at you. I'm here to say God loves you. And God has said what you are in will kill you. And he wants to save you. Is it bad when you go down the road saying, if you keep going, you're going to fall off that bridge that washed out in the flood? No, that's, that's a good thing to do. But you just got a negative message. The road is washed out. How horrible. I'm just going to keep driving. <laughs> but we don't ever go with condemnation. We go with the love of God because I am forgiven. And I want you to be forgiven too. And trust me, I feel like Paul who said, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Paul never forgot where it came from. But he never forgot what Jesus did for him. And he spread that message to everyone. If I, a murderer, a blasphemer. If I was one who opposed God and he would save me. He can save you. And so God used him to write. Even while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. The righteous for the unrighteous. See holiness and the gospel must always go together. So I want to ask you. What is your view today? And of its future. What is your view today of Christ in this world. And what the future holds. And what is Christ to you. We live in a world that is coming apart. But we have the answer. To heal it. But God is bringing the world to an end. So our job is to tell as many people as we can. It's like the little boy on the beach. And he's picking up starfish that washed ashore. And they're dying. And he's throwing them back in the ocean. This is an old illustration. Some of you probably heard it. And a guy walking down the beach said, what you doing, son? He said, I'm saving these starfish. He said, you can't save all of them. He said, I can save that one. 
It's pretty important to him. And kept throwing it to him. Listen, there's a lot of people lost. But there's somebody close to you that you can tell them about the way. And the way is everlasting. 